Welcome to We All Serve, the podcast featuring leadership lessons from and conversations with those veterans that have served in the United States Armed Forces. Meet your hosts, Robert Lewis, a proud enlisted veteran that served active duty in the United States Marine Corps. Hoorah! And Shalom Klein, who is privileged to be an officer in the United States Army Reserve. Hoorah! They both agree, we all serve. Uh, welcome, welcome to episode number 12 of the We All Serve podcast. A reminder that you can always uh, download all of our episodes, some fantastic conversations that we've had over these past few months. Uh, you know, it's been a difficult time. We've been recording through COVID, um, but also I think the silver lining over here is the amazing, amazing leadership lessons learned, as you just heard in that intro, um, from our amazing guests. And you can see that full lineup, uh, both uh, on our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, as well as uh, check out the podcast wherever your favorite platform is. And be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We've got some great episodes in store for you. Um, but it's uh, another uh, another weekend, another opportunity to roll out yet another episode of We All Serve. And that means another opportunity for me to say hello to my friend, my brother, co-host, Robert Lewis. Robert, how are you? Thank you, brother. Uh, well, man, I've... Uh... I'm doing well today, man. It's good to be on the podcast again with my brother Shalom, and uh, doing well, and uh, and really looking forward to uh, our guest today. Um, I I do want to say, however, uh, recently, just uh, the other day, we lost uh, an icon in the acting world, uh, Black Panther actor and star Chadwick Boseman, um, who. Uh, just passed away from colon cancer. Uh, he recently, I think f he fought it for four years. He was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer in 2016. Um, but for the past four years, he, he fought it vigilantly. He still worked, put out some amazing projects, including Black Panther um, and I believe Marshall, uh, just to name a few of his films, but uh, just rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman and our prayers and condolences to his family. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, it's, it, you can always tell when somebody is a true hero. It's, yeah. uh, it's not just, you know, their acting career, which that alone is, is impressive. And he broke so many barriers. Black Panther was an incredible film um, yeah. and on so many levels, not just as a theatrical production. But uh, I've been just watching even some people that I, that I know pretty well that had a relationship with him and it, they had a relationship with Chadwick and, and the, the lives that he impacted and just a, you know, an all around good person that was a true role model and hero. And the world has lost a good one. Absolutely. And he was only 43 years old or young, 43 years young. So uh, I, I, it's incumbent to really say to men and women alike, you know, uh, get health, regular health checkups, you know, um, uh, for men, especially, um, you know, make sure that uh, you take your health seriously, uh, no matter what age you are. Um, but uh, yeah, a huge loss. So young, um, but such an impact in such a short amount of time. So, uh, yeah, I think we'll be feeling that one for a while. You know, yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it's been another, you know, uh, week of uh, craziness and yes. uh, it's you know the the number of uh, deaths unfortunately from from COVID continues to rise. Um, certainly a lot of uh, a lot of unrest throughout the country. Uh, obviously, I think uh, yeah I think when we recorded our last uh, episode of the pod, um, the, uh, the 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 horrific situation in Kenosha um, yeah. had not uh, had not yet happened. The 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 shooting um, of of uh, Jacob Blake. Yes. Not, I think we re-recorded on Friday, and that had occurred sometime over the weekend. Yeah. And, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers and love and and you know, prayers for for his um, recovery. Um, he's in a hospital, and uh, I hope that the city can have healing, um, and I hope yeah. that we as a nation can come together to learn from situations like this, and hopefully uh, continue to make improvements. And I don't want to get too 
uh, political on, on the pod. But, um, you know, in situations like this, I, I hope that everybody can take a moment uh, to learn, to learn from each other and come together because uh, that's the only way we can have a better society. Absolutely. And yeah, that young man um, was shot in the back, I believe, seven times. Um, and uh, the last word that um, I heard was he was paralyzed uh, from the waist down. So, yes, uh, praying for him and his family, praying for all involved. Uh, I'll say that and uh, that he has a full recovery. Uh, I don't know what the uh, outlook on his health at this point would be, but definitely I echo your sentiment, Shalom. Um, I, I pray that uh, we in our nation for healing in general. Uh, so, yeah, you know, with all that going on in the world and uh, our personal stuff that we deal with day to day, it can be heavy. And so I also say that, uh, you know, hold your loved ones a little bit tighter nowadays, you know, tell the folks that you care about and love that you love them. Um, you know, every day is not promised to us. So, um, yes, yeah, Shalom, a lot going on. And I'm really excited about uh, our guest that we have an opportunity to speak with today. Absolutely. So as a teaser towards our uh, towards our guest, I'm going to introduce in a moment. Um, he combines uh, two things as you talk about love, two things that I love um, in my life. Um, first being coffee and the second being service. So that is uh, that that that's sort of a, a perfect segue into uh, into uh, our amazing, amazing guest who I'm going to bring out to the screen over here. Uh, Angel Forrest has just a, an amazing, amazing bio. And actually, it's funny um, as I uh, think about when uh, Angel and you and I uh, connected we were introduced, we have like a million, you know, as they say on LinkedIn, mutual contacts. Um, but uh, it's funny, the subject line of the introduction was, are you kidding me? Um, meaning that we weren't connected yet. So it was, Jim. you know, uh, it was certainly a, an easy, easy uh, connection and obvious to that, that I wanted to have you uh, here on the pod. So let me introduce our, uh, our 12th guest and we all serve, Angel Torres's uh, the president of VE Solutions LLC, a native of Chicago. And I know uh, my brother Robert is going to quiz him on that Chicago piece. Um, he's <laughs> passionate about diversity initiatives and partnering as a thought leader to ensure his clients are. Sox fan, Sox fan, just put it out there. Ah! Oh, there we go. Uh, Already, we're we good. just saved Sounds five bad. minutes of the pod right there. Oh my gosh, there <laughs> we go. Okay. And um, as a consultant, uh, Angel is engaging each client's um, DNI objectives by using a project manager management approach to achieve measurable and sustainable change. Clients include manufacturing, quasi-government agencies, and financial institutions. He has retired from the United States Navy after 27 years of distinguished service. During that time, he completed seven deployments to Southeast Asia and the North Arabian Gulf. He rose from the most junior ranks through senior enlisted ranks towards earning an officer's commission. His unique leadership journey included many historical firsts, of which he is most proud of serving as the head of Equal Opportunity and Diversity Training, which led the integration of females into combat roles on an aircraft carrier and directed the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy for 6,000 employees. And uh, as a driven professional throughout his career, he was the most junior sailor to qualify to pilot a $8.5 billion nuclear aircraft carrier during three Middle Eastern deployments and build, and here's the fun part for me, a fully operational and profitable Starbucks-type coffee shop on a deployed Navy warship. And we talked to uh, David Shulkin about this the other week, and I saw the smile on his face. So yeah. many different roles from pay and benefit specialist, executive recruiter, CRM director, chief human resource officer for the Department of Defense Global Mail Service. And uh, those accomplishments, achievements, awards have continued. He's earned an executive MBA from the Kellogg School of Management. Um, where he's the sole recipient of the Kellogg Merit Scholarship as a Master's of Science in Global Business Leadership from the University of San Diego with a Certificate in Project Management, uh, Bachelor of Science in Human Resource Management from Columbia Southern University, on the board of uh, Teatro Vista and a member of the Chicago Latino Caucus, uh, co-president of the Veterans Leadership Council, Chicago Veterans Advisory Board, and sits on the Chicago Mayor's Advisory Council on Veteran Affairs, in the spare time, and I'm not sure, Angel, how you have any spare time, right. uh, enjoys golf, dancing, motivational speaking through the nation at universities, YMCA's Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and organizing community outreach events at underserved neighborhoods on the west side of Chicago. Without further ado, 
let me introduce uh, our brother and uh, in service, and uh, just such an honor <laughs> to bring on Angel Torres. If he, if we could wake him up out of his slump. wake up, brother, Angel, wake welcome up. to the program. Hey, narcolepsy's better than Tourette's, man. For podcast, true <laughs> <laughs> that. Such a pleasure bringing you on, and Angel. Uh, you know, it, this is long overdue. And uh, so many synergies there, and uh, you certainly exemplify the "We All Serve" motto. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me on, and it's great to meet Robert. I was like, we already get along. It's like he—he's—he's he's, uh, the, the. I want to give him a box of crayons to chew on, but he was going to ask me to drive the bus, and we'd be okay because that's what the Navy does for the Marines. We drive the bus. Oh, man. It's that hate love cousin relationship. We, we pull off. We drop. It is. It is. <laughs> and, and you get to family room, but you know what? You mess with one of us, man. Don't mess. We coming for you. That's right. You know what? We coming for perfect. you. That's we've right. We've already gotten so many things out of the way. We've covered the whole Chicago piece. We've covered the White Sox piece. And now I don't even need to go into the whole Marine Army rivalry over here. No, but you know what? We cover Chicago, but where about you grow up at, Angel? Um, I started out in um, – off of Montclair, off in the Elmwood Park area. And then okay. um, I moved to the southwest southwest suburbs of Orland Park. Um, it was very, very Anglo neighborhood. I think I was the darkest kid in my school. <laughs> mm. So we talked about this whole diversity and inclusion thing. And, and uh, I spoke with someone the other day about um, what it, what that was like in that environment. And it, it was it was really, really great. And, and the coolest thing about that, as I reflect as an adult, you know, back then, and you feel like you don't really fit in. But as an adult, I spoke to her about learning how to get in and fit in with a lot of different groups, like how now you're, you're not necessarily pigeonholed, how you can get along with, with black groups, Latino groups, uh, white, just all these different demographics. And you kind of, you learn a skill to get along with everybody. And it's a really, really, it, it pretty much is the definition of inclusion and, and what it's like to get everybody together and find commonalities. And I think that that was fantastic. It was kind of a gift to be able to do that. And then I joined the Navy and that's a whole different, you know, the military is a whole different subculture and uh, uh, a jaded sense of humor that goes with that. <laughs> and then nice. going from yeah. being enlisted, junior enlisted, working away to senior enlisted, and then going to the officer ranks and like kind of getting a, getting a fresh taste of all those different things, all those different, you know, um, uh, view, view, points of view. You know, uh, what it's like to be a ticked off sailor standing a four hour watch, a 12 hour watch, screwing up on the first four hour watch and getting double watches because you clearly didn't get it right the first time. <laughs> and, then, and being the watch bill coordinator and setting people up on watch and giving them double watches. And then being the officer who is overall in charge of the safety and security of an entire warship. And uh, it, it's been a really fun ride. And then leaving the military and starting in the, uh, in the business. Um, I think that I focus mostly on, I know I'm kind of all over the place a little bit, but focusing mostly on helping my brothers and sisters um, find a home and find a uh, purpose in their lives and finding and, and helping reshape uh, companies' culture so that they're, they're conducive to military veterans thriving. And that's kind of what we do. And how I came to that was when I left the military, you know, I, I had the most messed up view well, I won't say myself. It, I thought good things, but I didn't think them the right way. <laughs> and I thought, okay, look, I'm old. I have a bad back and I have soft hands. I can't be digging ditches. So I need to go to school and get an education. <laughs> so I got a master of San Diego and then I, I came to Chicago. And I realized that in Chicago, it's a whole different ball of wax if you want to do well in Chicago. And that's when I applied to business school. And I thought, okay, 27 years military veteran, all these graduate degrees and stuff like that, clearly co companies are going to be banging down my door, you know, begging me. I'll have to be fighting off offers off like with a, a stick. Nope. <laughs> That's not the case. And your sense, and I almost, I, I would say my biggest mistake was having a sense of entitlement. Like you're lucky to have me. I actually want what uh, I'll tell you about an insurance company. Um, <laughs> I went into my worst, the worst interview I ever had, the most unsuccessful interview I ever had. I went to a, a big, very, very big insurance company, global insurance company it's based here in Chicago. I won't mention the name. And they said, we'd like to talk to you about diversity and uh, military hiring. And I walked in like 
dude, are you guys ready to make me the vice president yet? I'm ready to be a vice president. What's going on? And it was the worst. I was like, to this day, I still kick myself. I was like, oh, I can't believe I did that. It's like, what, they're like, what kind of position? How do you see yourself here? I'm like, in your job in a year? That's no kidding. That was the answer I gave them. <laughs> I was like, horrible, nice. horrible. <laughs> I guess rather than validate my parking, they're like, yes, yes, we will validate your parking right now on your way out, buddy. <laughs> and away I went. So, oh, wow. Nice. So then I went to this one, a couple of different companies, not for profit and everything. And I kept realizing that I was having hard times with the acclimation piece. And a lot of the environments weren't conducive to to a military veteran who has been kind of different. I mean, you're a military veteran, but you're a warrant officer, which makes you even more different. You know, you're Latino, that's different. And everything's just kind of not the square peg in the square hole. It's, it's all kind of different. So I thought to myself, what's it was kind of a period of reflection. It took about six months uh, of reflection and saying, okay, what? What am I doing wrong here? You know, and feeling bad about me. It must clearly this must be me. And I said, okay, I can sit here and, and teach that people how to redo resumes and how to read resumes, or how to do veterans how to interview, maybe build a business model around that, or I can help use all the different tools I have, which is recruiting in the military, um, working at different rank ranks and structures in the military. And my last tour was a joint tour, so I, I worked for the adjutant of the army and all the different military forces. We had Marines, uh, our Air Force and everybody, and pull all this together and help change organizations and help um, the way analogy I use is we create good soil for military veterans to thrive and grow in. And when we come into companies, um, we do we look at how they do the recruiting, if they're you know being authentic or if they're being flag wavers. And we all know that there's a lot of people that wave the flag. We love veterans. We hire veterans. We write checks for veterans. And, you know, we support our troops every veteran's day that comes around. There's a difference between them and companies that authentically get out there and are involved in organizations like Roll Call. And they're they're having these conversations. And how can we do better to hire veterans? How can we build resource, effective resource groups? I think CME is one that does an incredible job. Uh, Accenture does a great job. Um, a lot of different companies do a really, really good Amazon, they're the, they're the model. I mean, I you go on their website and they have all these testimonials, and all these different things that they really they really leverage the veteran skill set and leadership talent in a very meaningful way. And if you guys want to make me vice president, I'm all about that. Amazon, I'm okay with that. Give me a chair enough to Jeff, Jeff, because we already have the same haircut. Me, Shalom, and Jeff, we're gonna hang out. We all have the same haircut. And and, and Robert, absolutely. We have the, the Bezos. I walk in my barber. I said, give me the Bezos special. No, that's man, that's brilliant. Uh, that you <laughs> walked in there and said, "Yeah, I'll have your job in a year." That uh, that's a classic. We all serve moment. You know, we got to coin a term for that. Shalom. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, the, the confidence. I think that's something that the user yeah. wants. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I, after all, twenty-seven years in the Navy, uh, Angel. That's. Um, that's a that's a lifetime almost for some folks, man. Unfortunately, you spent you know you spent some very formative years there. Obviously, your leadership lessons from service, I'm sure, are vast. So, I mean, what do you think you took from your military service that really acclimates you to what you're doing currently? Can you hear me, Angel? I I. I can, and I'm thinking about it, a good answer because I think the best answer I could give you, um, I was with a client, a manufacturing client, this will pretty much articulate it. Um, and this, this is the best example. So I'm with a manufacturing client and they have a, a gentleman's resume. He's an E7, a chief petty officer in the Navy, which is quite an accomplishment. It's an accomplishment in all the military branches, but you know, he's an E7. And I think he made it in five and a half, almost six years, which is remarkable. I mean, that guy's hauling butt, right? So they're looking at his resume and they say, uh, he's got this EEL, EL letter, engineering officer watch. That's a qualification people get and eh, maybe 15, 16 years in <laughs> that, that, that hard. It means you're running the entire engineering plant for the ship. And he's master training specialist, he's working over at Great Lakes and all these different things. And she goes, eh, he's kind of quiet, he's kind of mediocre. You know, he said a we a lot in the interview. 
here, what do you think? And I look at the guy's resume and I'm like, oh my God, this guy's an absolute rock star. She's like, yeah, but he's getting out after eight years. And I'm like, I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it. This guy got married. She goes, there's no way you can tell that from the resume. I'm like, yep, he got married. He's, he found someone and he doesn't want to leave his wife or significant other. She's like, there's no way. I'm like, bring him in. So we, we have an interview. And we bring them in and I say, hey, I'm a consultant. I work with this company. We're helping to hire more military veterans and understand you guys. And I say, I just got one question. You don't have to answer if you don't want to because it's probably pretty appropriate. But that's why I'm a consultant. I'm at them. But how long have you been with your significant other making you want that you feel that you don't want to leave and get out of the military? And you saw this smile come on the guy's face like, oh, my God, someone gets me. Someone understands me. And I didn't tell him how long I've been in the military or anything. And I said, you're a rock star. I was like, you have all these qualifications. You're a hard charger. You're going to get things done. And being able to advocate for the company and the military veteran, it makes me feel like, like almost like, you know, my divine path or whatever was to be that advocate for military people in the corporate, in the corporate sector and to be able to under and going to business school and having that educational relationships in business afford me opportunity to, to be that trusted advisor, um, for both for, and I think that that's the greatest lesson and, uh, and being able to explain in a very, uh, business ease kind of way, what they're going to bring to the equation and, and, and like quality assurance. I was, uh, there's, um, um, uh, a marijuana company that I was working with and I explained to them what quality assurance actually meant to a military member. And I said, you know, I worked on aircraft carrier, I worked on fuel, fuel control for, uh, on an aircraft carrier, and I said, "Okay, you put the fuel in a jug, and you spin it, right? You're spin, spinning it, yep. and you're looking, you're staring at this thing for one thing of water, because you can't see one thing of water, because if you do, that thing's gonna crash the airplane, right? Yeah. And I was like, that's the level. I was like, you got planes and stuff going all around, and you're staring at that little thing, right? And I was like, that's the level of intensity military people bring to quality control." These are the people you want in your company. There's no slough. They understand the importance and the intensity and the the, uh, the focus, and they take that and bring it to your company. And being able to articulate that because I had all those crazy experiences. I mean, if I was to write a book, it'd be called, you want me to do what? <laughs> and taking all these experiences and being able to convey that and paint that picture uh, to companies, that's probably the greatest thing I think I was able to bring from the military into the civilian uh, corporate sector. Nope. Angel, I wanna, I wanna, I, I love that that angle of things of bringing from the military into the corporate sector, which we talk about this all the time on the pod. But you know, it's it, it's it's immeasurable, and uh, obviously, we say thank you to those employers that recognize it all the time, and uh, and because they're they're getting they're they're getting so much more than they're giving um, in in that uh, mm. in that transaction. But I want to I want to go back the uh, twenty rewind the twenty seven years that you were uh, in the United States Navy as we said first as a, a junior then senior enlisted and then going in as an officer. What was it like in uh, in your household uh, that day that you decided to uh, to enlist? Uh, walk us through that decision making process. Was your family supportive? What were your dreams, or did you even have any dreams at that point? Hmm. You know, I was a knucklehead. And <laughs> I got tired. I no kidding. I got tired of embarrassing my parents. My dad was a cop. I was in Atlanta, living in Atlanta. Uh, my dad was an Atlanta cop, and I kept getting in trouble for stupid stuff. Like I get a speeding ticket and not go to my court date, and I get you know they issue a bench warrant and take you to the pokey. And and my dad, as a new cop, you know, having to come bail me out and just doing stupid stuff and looking around at retail and seeing that I wasn't going anywhere and it was never going to get out and just feeling the, the disdain and the disappointment in my family's uh, eyes that I wasn't living up to my potential. I wasn't doing anything. And then uh, my roommate had done uh, four very unsuccessful years in the Navy. And he says, you know, if I could go back and do it all over again. And I said, okay. So I, I went into the recruiter's office. I think desert shield was ramping up. So yeah, that's old. And uh, Bush was president. I remember very specifically uh, going into the Kennesaw, it was Kennesaw, Georgia, recruiting station. And I had taken my ASVAB and I scored very, very high in math. And, and uh, even though I, I barely passed high school, um, I still knew stuff. I just 
I was a horrible student. I barely, I think I graduated lower, lower 1% of my graduating class in high school, which is true. I failed eighth grade, I think, too. I just didn't, wasn't good academically. And um, I scored really well on the ASVAB, and they put me in, like, oh, you're a Latino. We're going to put you in a upper mental group or some quota thing for sonar. You're going to work in electronics and learn all this other stuff. I was an electronics guy. I, I was the worst sonar tech on the planet. Every time they put headphones like this on me, I started listening to whales. Like, Ow. Oh, man. Um, wow. But it was, it was a big turning point because I think that the military gave me a chance to reinvent myself. And it wasn't about your family and your, your, your neighborhood's idea of who you are. It's, you get the chance to define who you are. And almost, I, I, I would say recreate. You know, the, and the person I wanted to recreate wasn't bad in school. The person I wanted to recreate was very um, focused on helping others, which was something that was already always inside me and who I was. But now I got to do it in a very um, direct way. And then um, as I evolved from that to, you know, doing boardings and, and maritime interdiction off the coast of Iraq and, and Horn of Africa, I got to help different governments and, and uh and see what I was doing and lead people and, and inspire them and motivate them and encourage them. And, and that, I can't put a words to it. It's, uh, it's like you, you reflect and you look back at who you were and it almost seems like when you tell people who you are now and what you're doing, it feels like you're lying or right? <laughs> they call it imposter syndrome or something like that. But it's, um, it was such a wonderful thing. That the, it's such a wonderful gift that, an opportunity that the military gave me to be able to quantify and make a significant impact um, on people's lives. I had a company ask me the other day, what are you most proud of in your military career, your business? Um, and I would say the people I mentored and developed, the, the fact that you had an opportunity to, to support people to better their situation. You know, a kid from Baltimore, you know, uh, who was, you know, could have been on The Wire, that TV show, The Wire. He was living that kind of lifestyle to uh, uh, a guy, Dominican, to, you know, just people that were from really impoverished or, or bad situations to help them turn their lives around and, and, and create something that, that they were proud of, a better way of life. I think so many people get that wrong uh, when they say, oh, the military is this, the military is that. I, an organization I used to be a part of, uh, LULAC, League of United Latin American Citizens basically just said we don't support the army or army recruiting in schools and i it, it i just i can't even be a part of that anymore because who i am as um as a military retiree and as a military member overshadows at anything any other organization because i see the good i see the good we do to our for ourselves i see the good we do for our communities i see the good we do for the world and people were asking all the time, what do you, what did you think about being in Iraq? And if I'm going off a tangent, I apologize, but it's just how my mind works. I'm kind of crazy like that. But <laughs> they said, what was your experience like in Iraq? Did you support the war? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, we don't really get into that. Like, what do you mean? I was like, I have a job to do. I don't get to pick the president of, of Microsoft. I don't get to pick the president of Amazon. I don't get to pick this president. <laughs> so let me go ahead and do what I got to do, what's in front of me right now. And what I got to do right now is protect that oil platform in Iraq that's providing 85% of the GDP to rebuilding infrastructure of Iraq. Now, I was an admin weenie, right? And I'm sitting at a desk and my, I trained my people well enough to run the admin operations for me and run the entire department without me. And they said, hey, chief, we want you to go and, and uh, do this visit board search and seizure thing, non-compliant visit board search and seizure thing. I said, what does that mean? They said, ah, you know, if they don't want you to go on, you're going anyway. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Cool. I, get, I was like, do I get out of a desk? Yeah. Cool. Let's go do that. So for four weeks, Navy SEALs and the Rangers stuff beat the living tar out of me and my team. We learned about repelling and close quarter battle and, and um, defensive tactics and all kinds of things like that. And I came home with bruised ribs. I learned how to shoot fun stuff. And um, so you get there and be like, you know, it's an assault force. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And you get over there 
and it's hard to mind. It's it's uh, 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 cigarettes, chocolate bars, and chocolate milk. They love that <laughs> because you get a lot more out of people, and they'll give you a lot more information when you're nice to them. <laughs> so you learn that, and then you sit down with the Iraqi people and you talk to them, and it was the most eye-awakening experience ever. And I tell people this all the time: people are people. They are like us. They got. They want to go. Home. They were glad. To, I'll tell you, my experience was that they were glad we were there, because they didn't have to worry about someone snatching up their wife and kids while they were out fishing and and you know doing what they had to do. They didn't have to worry about you know getting cut their head, hands cut off or, or any of these horrible things. And they were really authentically glad we were there. That was my experience, and I don't I don't paint anything that isn't the way it was. And I felt good about what I did, and I felt that my my job was to bring my men men home. I mean, at the time it was men, it was just guys, but, um, my job was to bring them home safe and to train them and to make sure that we weren't doing anything to embarrass the United States government <laughs> and to make, that we were doing things that, that protected our way of life. And even though people say, Oh, it's, it's a PR spin. It's not a PR spin. If you look at the correlation of how things, how things downrange affect things back home, there's a direct and intentional correlation to each and every one of those things. And I think great leaders are able to convey that to their, their people. And that's one thing the military does well. And where, where corporations don't get it right, a lot of corporates do not get it right, is that I would say eight out of 10 companies I work with will say, what's your biggest problem? Communication. When I'm doing a focus group, communication. And the military, you tell your sergeant, you tell your, your, you know, you tell your corporal, you tell your, you know, your privates, and it's the exact same message all the way across. And the army, and they, you know, everybody does the exact same way. Um, and I think that that's one thing we really, really do well and get it right. I love how uh, the company asked you, you know, did you agree with the conflict? And your answer was just spot on, Angel. And I, it's the sentiment of anyone who has a heart of service. It's not about, you know. Um, who the president or CEO is of of the organization or of our country? It's about the mission. You know, we sign up to serve. We sign up to make sure that the job gets done. And uh, I, I think that's a lesson for service for anyone listening. Um, when you have a heart for service, you want to do good, and you know, doing good is your job. Whatever your mission is, you know that that is the focus and. Uh, so, you know, I'm just curious. I know that you were a, like the most junior sailor to ever pilot an $8.5 billion nuclear aircraft. I mean, uh, I think it's, it's 8.5 with all the airplanes on it. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. In the, co uh, in the coffee shop. In the coffee shop. Which, yeah. Oh, Lord, Angel, we are getting to that coffee shop. I promise you, buddy, we are getting <laughs> to that coffee shop. <laughs> We're getting there. So, I mean, what was that like? I mean, because I, I see you're you're a lighthearted, fun guy um, who uh, you know understands that you 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 gotta you gotta take life and, and smile at at everything. You gotta kind of you know you get you gotta make it what it is, and I think that's coming across uh, as the type of guy you are. And let alone the fact that you served your country and did it honorably for 27 years. But uh, I mean, what was it like doing that? I mean, that's a lot of responsibility knowing. 8.5 billion. That's just got to be a headache, I would think. <laughs> um, it was a privilege. It was a privilege. And I'll tell you, oh my gosh, yes. I mean, you think, I, I wanted uh, this guy, he was a Colombian guy, and he was on, uh, he was standing next to me. He was standing watch with me, and he trained me previously, and I had I took a position um, at, at that point a little bit more senior in the watch rotation because I was just driving, just driving like crazy. And he was comfortable where he's at, so I'm just driving. And he looks at me and he goes, hey, Angel, just think, there's not 11 people on the planet that can do what you're doing right now. Wow. That's why I was like, whoa, I'm a rock star. So you say I'm a rock star. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so... But one time that, and I, I don't know if I told Shalom this, but um, so I was on, I went, when I was the most junior person, then I advanced and I was on the Ronald Reagan and uh, I used, I was a, uh, um, the conning officer, they call it the conning officer, junior officer today. And you're, you're the one that's telling them where to go, telling the helmsman who's, you know, the steering wheel guy, um, where to go. 
And we actually drove, we were doing a recovery um, or humanitarian assistance disaster relief um, in Japan after the Fukushima Daiichi uh, nuclear, nuclear event. And uh, I actually drove into a radioactive cloud. And uh, that was crazy because, you know, you've never, you know, you see smoke and you know what smoke looks like. You see black smoke, you figure, you know, it's oil platform. I see an oil platform blow up in Iraq and it's no big deal. You see you know, a regular white smoke fire, you figure someone's lighting fire on the fishing dow or something. But you see this radioactive stuff and it's something that just, uh, I didn't know what it was. And it just, it just encompasses you and, and, and just suffocates. And you're just like, what the heck's going on? And your detectors are going off, like, dude, that's radiation. So you're stuck along the, uh, in the middle of this thing, and uh, you got to figure out how to get out of it. So you call the weather guys. We we give the weather the meteorologists. Like we call them weather guys, but we call the meteorologists. We give we bust their humps the entire deployment, you know, because they're always wrong. But when there's a radioactive cloud out there somewhere, man, you get real dependent on those folks. <laughs> and uh, we punched through and we got out of it, but then we had to do uh, rescue efforts because. Uh, Japan had uh, been swept away by a tsunami. So you look down, you're you're on the on the ship, you're piloting the ship, and you're trying to avoid houses and connex boxes and bodies, and it's just really really grim. And uh, and then you think about the sailors and, and marines and everything, and uh, service members that are on shore and that are exposed, and then you're exposed, and then because you were driving, you feel like it was your fault, but it's really not your fault. But um, it's just, it's, it's a very, very strong sense of responsibility that you can't really, it's a hard to convey to people because um, if you haven't been there and you've been in the chair, but then the, you, you switch, you flip the switch. And the cool thing is you get to launch airplanes <laughs> and you're, you're flipping the, the ship around, you're turning the ship around and putting it into the, to the wind with 29, 29, 22 knots on the, across the bow, which is the front of the ship. And you're at the minute you turn that ship and you get right there, right in the sweet spot, they're launching. Boom, boom. You've seen all these planes just take off. And it's just unbelievable. And you're like, wow, this is so exciting. They're they're able, we're able to do this because I'm here right now, doing this right now. And it, and that's why I guess it's a privilege. Like I'm privileged to be here right now doing what I've been trained to do. You know, a lot of people get trained to do jobs that they don't actually get to deliver and execute. You know, you end up being a baby in the military, especially how many times you've been trained to do this, you know, really complicated job and you find yourself as a leader being a babysitter <laughs> a lot. So yeah. Angel, I have to, I have to ask. Um, it's funny. I'm, I'm just reflecting. I had a conversation this past week with a um, retired uh, special forces uh, buddy of mine. And it, he was, he was describing to me a conversation he had the, the prior week where somebody said that uh, act, they thought that active duty military, regardless of branch, that pretty much that they are in uniform 24 hours a day. And uh, I, we were laughing about it. And we were, we, were just, we were laughing about how, what a divide there is between, you know, call it the civilian population and those that put on the uniform. I, I realized that, you know, being a reservist, it's a very unique role, sort of splitting your time, being, as I always say, exceptional at everything that you do. But Angel, uh, I'm thinking about what Robert just said in, in the lead up to his question to you a moment ago. Of, you're a very, you know, fun-loving, easygoing guy. We hit it off immediately in our first conversation. And, you know, we're having such an awesome conversation with you. What kind of, in particular, I want to emphasize your time while you were enlisted. What kind of enlisted leader were you? Were you a different person in uniform versus out of uniform? Or are you just consistently the same, same person all around? That's, I love that question. Um, when I first came in, I was a jerk. And uh, I was, you know, I had an attitude. Dude, and my my old master chiefs used to say, he goes, oh, he's just young and pissed off. All these young guys are just young and pissed off because they don't like being told what to do. But I had a friend. Um, I actually, you, you know what? You guys know what captain's mast is, right? Like uh, Marine Corps, they have called article something other uh, commander's hours, or it's when you get in trouble, but you don't go to court martial. It's like the captain, the right. commanding officer, kind of yep. gives you a knuckle, a noogies and a knuckle sandwich. Yep. So I had a friend. Uh, I went. I. I I wore a t-shirt that I shouldn't have worn. 
I wore a, a provocative, um, what is now legal in Illinois t-shirt in Singapore and the Commodore, which is my boss, my captain's boss saw me following me back to the ship and I got him busted. It's, you know, they say uh, tragedy plus time equals comedy. Well, that's funny right now. So um, I went to, and got in trouble and a guy who was, I won't say my jailer, but he was in charge of my remediation. He showed me kindness and compassion and pulled me aside and said, this is an opportunity for you to be great. You don't even see it. And that changed my outlook on everything. And I started to take on responsibility. I take, and, um, and when I took on more responsibility, I started to get more serious about it and more focused. And, and I was always very, very kind of jovial. I guess that, that people, people used to tell me, you know, oh, everything's a joke angel. And it's funny because everybody told me, hey, you know what? When you make chief, you have to stop all this joking around and being and start being serious. Okay. I didn't change. Hey, you know what? When you make senior chief, you're going to need to really be serious. You go through the senior enlisted academy. These guys are serious and they, you don't play, play around. They're going to be serious. Okay. I'll be serious. Didn't work. You know, when you're commissioned, I swear, you cannot joke around anymore. And, and you got to be serious. Okay, I'll be serious. Because, and then, and then, you know, corporate America is not going to stand for this stuff. They're not going to stand for you joking around. They're gonna, they don't want to hear you your jokes. Okay, I just got to be me, you know, and I have to be my authentic self. And I think that to Robert's point, if you you hold a sense of purpose and your purpose is pure and true and just, and you believe in it, and it's the right thing to do, how the message comes out is always going to be the right message. Um, I think it's when you start trying to mix agendas and trying to support someone else's ideals that you don't share necessarily alone or you're not back and behind. I think that that's where things tend to get a little bit muddied. So I think that um, I do try, I do make a conscious effort not to joke around as much, um, especially when I'm sitting down and leading a team or building a, building a team. Um, Cause you know, I, I, I say that in the military, it was about people's lives being at stake, right? But how is that any different than corp working with corporations? If I fail a CEO or I fail a corporation, then people get fired. People lose their jobs. This company does not thrive. And, and those people downrange or those people in those companies can't be their families. And I take that to heart. I think that, you know, um, I'm a very passionate person. Um, on both ends, you know, so I think that um, to your question, uh, I think I've always kind of been that way and I'm always kind of going to be that way. But there's always a switch here. There's time to, you know, there's, there's uh, time to flip the switch and, and to get real serious and real focused. And I think that from what I've been told, okay, what I'm still told by my people that have been, I've been privileged to, to mentor and develop. And uh, they're like, when, uh, when you're really quiet, we get really scared. <laughs> and, and and that's a perfect segue, if you don't mind. I'm, I'm intentionally, I'm sipping my coffee over here. This was very, very intentional and strategic. I'm just kidding. No, I actually like, I actually like need my coffee. But, um, but Angel, you, you told me, um, and I've, I've read uh, quite a bit about, uh, you know, about your, uh, your journey into creating <laughs> Uh, a, a first ever like coffee shop, Starbucks type coffee shop on board one of your vessels. Uh, please, please tell tell our viewers, tell our listeners how that came to be. Um, because I, I hate to say it, uh, entrepreneurship and service are not two terms that usually are associated with each other. You have certainly, uh, my friend, broken that stereotype and I endeavor to, uh, to, to, to follow in your footsteps every day that I serve. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I was bullied by a woman that was like this tall, but when she stood on her eagles, she was this big. <laughs> and her name is Tip. Her name was Tiffany Shad. She was a supply and logistics officer on the Ronald Reagan, and I was a senior chief at the time. So I thought, you know, I had some salt. Like, you know, you're not gonna tell me what to do. And she broke me down. She said, "You're gonna build the Starbucks on this aircraft carrier." I'm like, yeah, you're going to go to your analysis and take a piss test because you're crazy. You've been smoking something. <laughs> nice. And she went, she went, senior chief. <laughs> 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 and I felt it right here in my chest. 
Um, oh, man. And we're still dear friends to this day. Um, and she said, you're going to do it. It's never been done, but I'm going to give you everything you need. And it's such a leadership lesson. I'm going to give you everything you need and you think you need um, to do it. I think that uh, she said, um, it hasn't been done, but that doesn't mean you're not the right guy to do it. I said, I don't know how to run a business. I, I have no idea that. She goes, you're going to do great. So I started working backwards. Okay, what does what does a fully functional Starbucks? Mind you, I have been to Starbucks. I'm not a big coffee drinker. I am now, but at the time, I have been to a Starbucks maybe three times in my whole life, ever. Wow. So I'm like flying blind. Yeah. And so I went to Starbucks. I, first thing I did was I called Starbucks headquarters. I said, hey, guys, this is kind of what I want to do. Um, they're like, well, you can't be licensed Starbucks because we have our whole way, but we can, you can put a sign that says proud. We can provide your coffee and you, you know, you can have a sign that says we proudly serve and we named it the Hellcat cafe. And we put a survey out to the ship, um, and let the sailors pick the name of it. And Ronald Reagan did a movie called the flying Hellcats. So we called it the Hellcat cafe. And I said, okay, what are all the things that I need to do to be successful? Okay. I need espresso machines. Okay, so Google, you know, look it up. Who who does the espresso machine? The Shuring, it's a com company in Switzerland. It's okay, I need to get the espresso machines. Okay, how am I going to pay for, I think they're like, it was something ridiculous, like $25,000, $30,000 for each machine. It's, and they make like 90 shots an hour or something like that. But, so I had to buy the espresso machines. Then I had to find the money to buy the espresso machine. And the cool thing was because they were going to do it with the U.S. government, they were going to give me a 90-day grace period. So like, cool, we'll do it on credit. Yay, I can make that money back, no problem. So I figured out how to, how to buy the, the coffee machines. Then I had to set up, because we're gonna be deploying, this is like three months prior to the deployment. So then I had to figure out how are we going to get our supplies? So I'm like, I don't know, how are we gonna get the syrup and the, all the little fufu stuff that you put in the coffee? The, the whipped cream and the CO2 cartridges that make the, the stuff. Cisco, Cisco's the supplier, Cisco's the Navy supplier. Every time you see a ship deploy, Cisco's providing all those supplies, right? Cisco's gonna give me my stuff globally. So I set up global supply chain lines where I would order the stuff and they would get it to whatever port I needed to and they would send it out to the ship. Okay, cool. Now I need to build this thing out. Now this is the coolest part. So I don't know how to build a Starbucks. I have no idea how to do that. There's all this electrical, you have to have a transformer to power that thing. You have to have, oh yeah, you have to have I won't say built, um, there have to be minerals in the water so that the coffee will bind to it so you can have good coffee because the, the water on an aircraft carrier is so pure, it has no minerals to bind to. So I had to add minerals into the water so that they could actually have coffee. But the hardest part was how am I going to build this thing out and what it's going to look like? So I was like, okay, uh, restaurant design. So I found this guy in Los Angeles. And I said, hey, man, this is what I'm trying to do. And I thought he was going to tell me that, you know, that I need to go to your analysis or something. But he said, that is the most interesting thing I've ever heard. Now, when people say interesting, there's one of two ways. They're like legitimately interested or they think this person's out of their mind, right? He was actually interested. And he said, you know what? My dad uh, served in World War II. I would love to do this as a moment as a, to honor my dad. Okay, can I come down to the ship? He was in Los Angeles. So he drove down from Los Angeles to take a look with his engineer and do a survey. And we built it on the forward bomb shelter, um, forward, like forward, where the forward galley and the forward bomb shelter is. So we, would, we couldn't operate during hours that we were loading bombs because it would have spilled my coffee. <laughs> so we, uh, he designed it, he, he, he did the whole layout and did the whole design. And he said, I'll tell you what, if you, he goes, if you pay for, and materials and uh, and uh, we'll do it, we'll do it for free. So they actually ended up doing it for free. So I'm writing this as I'm doing along. I'm writing down everything that's happening and how it's going. I'm garnering information from my team. But then the last part and the most crucial part was well, besides the point of sale transactions, which gave me my data and analytics. But we're thinking, what are your customer hours? You know, all the all your data stuff is right there on your point of sale transaction. I had to have. Baristas. I can't just call Starbucks and say, can you give me 12 baristas for deployment? So I sent an email out to the crew. Say, hey, we're looking for volunteers that want to learn how to be baristas. I'm going to have the Starbucks guys come on here and they're going to teach you how to how to uh, do the, the, the lattes and stuff. So I had a list 
I must have had about 35, 40 people apply because they wanted to do something normal, like a soft skill, um, um, in addition to whatever they did. Like if you're working in, you know, uh, accounting or, or, or you know, maintenance or whatever, the, the opportunity to work in a Starbucks and interact and have a whole social environment, they're like, I would love to do that. That'd be cool as heck. You know, that's kind of like, like a, 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 a Gucci kind of thing. And they wanted to be able to be at the central and be like the popular kids. So we set up a watch rotation, we trained them. And then um, we had our launch uh, two days before we deployed. Now the cool thing was, or the bad thing, I don't know, is the Admiral um, Gear. I remember him, I'm not a fan at all. Um, he made us get underway two weeks prior to deployment to train and do our nuclear stuff, uh, nuclear certification stuff. So I wasn't a fan of that. What was even more challenging was the coffee shop wasn't done yet. So I had to put that guy, the the coffee design guy and his maintenance crew on a cod. A cod is a carrier onboard delivery. It's a plane that lands onto an aircraft carrier. So he goes, so I called him up I'm like, hey, uh, Joe, um, yeah, so we're deploying tomorrow. And he's like, yeah, I'll see you on Thursday. No, um, we're deploying we're leaving tomorrow we're gonna to be in the san diego harbor area just doing donuts right he goes well uh are we gonna finish i was like well uh if you don't mind getting on a cod i will fly you and your crew onto an aircraft carrier he's like you're gonna put me on a plane and land me on a carrier i was like yeah yeah he goes hell yeah he goes i'd love to do that that sounds awesome well we threw we i was like go so, so he gets on and then and then he does all his stuff and we give him all a bunch of free stuff he's great he's happy um and uh like you know t-shirts and ball caps and stuff and then we'll say okay we're done now i get to launch you off he goes i get to launch i was like yeah either that or i'll put you in a little boat and you can start paddling whatever you want to do man so he he got to launch off the carrier and it was just the most incredible experience for them and we were able to get our coffee shop up and running. Now, what we didn't realize, we didn't realize we were going to make that much money. Because the markup, if you don't know, the markup on Starbucks is insane. And I learned all this because I had to do the, all the business stuff. So, which made a really great case when I applied to Kellogg. I explained all this stuff and how to set up the business model and how to do the, uh, the tracking and supply chain management. I don't think about all this stuff, but that's like varsity level stuff, right? Well, so this, when we... Uh, deployed and we had the nuclear reactor thing uh, when the, the, the Fukushima reactor blew up we couldn't pull in we couldn't pull in any city we didn't know what was going on so we were underway for a lot of days and crew morale starts to kind of tip and kind of go down because you don't all this uncertainty and all these things that are going on and the rumor mill that goes and circulates around the ship well we started doing um, open mic nights at the um, at the Hellcat Cafe. So we would invite sailors to sign up on a list. And if they had a musical instrument or had some kind of talent or something like that, they could come out and they could play. And everybody in the crew got to hang out and they got to hear all this. And it created that sense of normalcy. You started to see morale come back up and everybody started to get excited about the events. But you couldn't do them too often because it gets bland. So you do them like once every other month, every month or something like that. And everybody gets really amped about it. They're standing room only. But then we said, okay, there's got to be more. I said, okay, we're going to do, they said, senior chief, I was senior chief at the time. Can we do a deaf comedy jam? I said, yeah. First thing I went out without even thinking about it. Yeah. And I started thinking, I was like, oh, oh, man. Mm. Well, I already said, yeah. So I guess I got, I guess we got to do it. <laughs> so the captain found out. Now I'm up on the bridge driving and the captain hears and he goes, senior chief, let me talk to you for a second. This is the night of the deaf comedy jam. He goes, I understand you're going to be running a little comedy show. Yes, sir. All right. So I expect that the, the humor that then will be above board and no one will be bad-mouthing my mama. <laughs> I was like, yes, sir. I will make sure nobody bad-mouths your mama, sir. We will keep it up. We will keep it above board. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So I went up there. and The first thing I said was <laughs> I, got a, I was the MC, and uh, I opened everybody, uh, opened it up. And I said, okay, we're going to do this comedy jam. Nobody's to badmouth the captain or anybody else's mama. That's the rule. <laughs> I love it. I said, we will, we will have some good order and discipline. 
And they said, how are you gonna, how are you gonna warm up the crowd? And I told them the story about when I was a fuel guy and I found out I had a stomach virus and I'm feeling it, fueling an airplane. And that's a story that I won't share on this podcast because it's, it's very off color. But, uh, I, uh, they were dying. There was not a dry eye in the, in the place because they laughed at my, my silliness. But the captain's mama was not bad enough. Right. She was not bad enough. And then the next week, I think we did a death, po- we did a poetry slam and that turned out really well. So you start bringing people in with all their different talents and stuff. And, and it, it, it really turns morale around. And, and, uh, it's a little things you do and you don't focus on all the other stuff, like all this other stuff going on that you have no control over. Focus on what's in your wheelhouse. Do good work right here for people. That's what you need to do. And there's a guy here, there's a politician here in Chicago, uh, Gilbert Villegas. He's all the men third city ward. Angels, uh, Angels, uh, yep, he's stuck there for a minute. I, he took me back talking about the fuel. I'm a bulk fueler, uh, from the Marine Corps, so that was great. There he is, there he is. yeah. We're back, so yeah, yeah Gil, uh, all this bombs and stuff are going off around the city, and all this, you know, uh, COVID and, and Black Lives Matter, all these riots and stuff like that. You know what he does? Let's have a nice new social, let's take care of our neighborhood, let's take care of our block. Focus on what's in front of you. He's always going here and going high on stuff. And and let's, you know, let's help out mass. Let's pass out, you know, uh, uh, let's do COVID testing and all this stuff. And it's such a testament to what the military brings um, outside the military or what that, that mindset, you know, help people be of service in your community and be effective. Don't worry about all these other stuff. Focus on what's in front of you, what you can control and put you. And I think that's uh, that's a really good point. I don't know if you knew this, Angel, but I, I'm a bulk fueler, man. So when you start talking about the fuel in the in the in the jar and you spin it to see if it's any water, and man, you took me right back to you know bulk fuel days, man. Uh, not only that, you said you created a Starbucks, man. You created a lit nightclub on the Reagan. <laughs> that that sounds like a party yeah. now, pre-COVID. Uh, but it's true. Uh, Sure. Yeah, man. So I no that that was um, fascinating to say the least. But uh, you know, I, I also know that you're firmly planted here back home in Chicago with community service. A lot of the things that you're doing, I know that you sit on the Chicago Latino Caucus. I know that you're a national co-president uh, of the Veteran Leadership Council. You're on a, you also, and I don't know if you still are, the Chicago Veterans Advisory Board for our mayor Lori Lightfoot. And, uh, you, you know, not just yet. Yeah. not yet, not yet. All right. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, no, I'm I wasn't old, under old mayor, but now, now we haven't had a new meeting because COVID and everything. It's kind of been hard to get everybody back together. So no, I haven't been fired, but I haven't had a meeting yet either. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. I, you know, so I guess I have a kind of a, a, a question to kind of two part question. So, do you have any advice for anyone who kind of has a similar background like you, you know, for, uh, you, like you said, you, I was kind of like you, man, a, a knucklehead when I was younger too. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, but if you were talking to young knucklehead Robert at 17, what, what kind of advice would you give about uh, whether I should serve uh, in the military or what I should do? What would you say to 17 year old Robert? I think I would say the seven, same thing to 17-year-old Robert as I would say to the military guy that just got out and retired or uh, left after a few years. Um, there's three things you really need to need to identify and hone in on. And um, so it's harder to find that out. It's every bit as hard to find that out when you're 17 as you do when you retire. And those three questions are, who are you? What do you love? And what do you want to do every day that would bring you joy? And I think that the earlier you figure that stuff out, um, the easier it is for you to be um, achieve your purpose in life and, and figure out what you want and you're supposed to be doing in life. I think the military is a great way to um, expose yourself to a lot of different things while getting paid and, and not being homeless <laughs> and to a lot of different things in that wheelhouse. I mean, I, I changed jobs. You know, I was a sonar tech, then I was a fuel guy, then I was a, a personnel guy. And in the personnel space, 
I did all different facets of HR, an HR role from a generalist all the way to a uh, executive recruiter. But in addition, I got to lead people in, you know, as, as a, like a SWAT team, if I, effectively, learn about nuclear power, all these different things. So I think that the military, if you don't know how to answer those three questions, I think the military is a great way to expose yourself and give you the opportunity to find out what you might love and what you might enjoy doing um, and not feel like you're regressing. The other point that goes with that is sometimes to the young, you know, the young Robert, your environment is a hindrance to fulfilling your true potential. I think that um, statistically, people, and I've seen it happen time and time again, people that go recruiting, they try not to send them back to their hometown to do recruiting because they get back in their bad habits and they start doing things that are not conducive to who you are. Um, as, uh, when I was the executive officer at a uh, uh, global mail service, um, we had a couple guys that came back to the, and what they do, they move back to, you know, there's the sailors that have led people in the combat and, and, and they, they move back to, to Inglewood, they move back to, and that there's anything wrong with that, but they surround themselves with the same people that were holding them back before. I mean, and, and the same, you know, they, the same is true if you were living with that if you're, if you're this kid that lives in Winneka and you got bad habits, you're doing bad things, I would say, don't go back to those environments. The military is a great way to get you out of those. So you can, re, like I said before, reinvent the person that you are, find out who you are, what you love. Does that answer your question? No, absolutely, man. Uh, perfect. Uh, young 17-year-old Robert probably would have signed up for that lit nightclub, by the way. <laughs> a lot of people did. A lot of, it was standing room only. They knew they had to get there earlier. They couldn't get a spot. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. So we had for like sure. we had like tables and everything. I'll send you guys a picture of it. We had tables and everything, like, and they weren't like bench tables. They were like you would see them in a, in a high end espresso bar kind of tables, and they were like it was all restauranted out. It wasn't there was nothing. If you went like this, you didn't know that there was a ship there. You didn't know. Wow. So I, you know, I also know, man. Uh, like Shalom said earlier, that uh, you actually have free time. I, I don't know how. I don't know what you are. You 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 must have like a forty eight hour day instead of twenty four, but uh, you know. So you you like to dance. I I know you you like to uh, get on the golf course. You know. So tell me, man. Typically, when when you're just hanging out, um, what what's your handicap for one with uh, with with your golf game? And uh, and I know you're a motivational speaker. So you know, tell us a little bit about the downtown downtime that Angel Torres has. Right now, my downtime is playing with an Oculus. Have you guys checked that out? No. It's a VR headset, right? It goes in your thing. And, oh, man, I'm the, I, I go full dork. I'm telling you, my girlfriend's watching me. And I got the, I got the Creed, video, Creed video game, like uh, yeah. the boxing game. And he's, Adonis is coming at me. And I'm like, I'm like bobbing and weaving and stuff. And, and you got the handsets and you're punching. And the guy's right there. It's everything short of getting a bloody nose, man. And you like when you get hit, the headset goes like this, and it like jerk juggles. I'm like, I feel like I got traumatized, and uh, I'm wow. bobbing and so I'm trying that, the boxing, the creep, and then I do the. Uh, uh, they have all these different games, like a workout and stuff, and I'm I'm like drenched in sweat. That's how I get my workout on, like when I do cardio days, and it makes it totally fun. But but they, and um, I, I don't have. I only know I had a handicap, but the other day I was impressed. I got four four pars on one course, and uh, I was pretty excited about that. But then the other holes, I was getting like three or four over. <laughs> oh, and when we meet in person, Angel, it's all about you're, you're, you know what? It's all about the cup. make coffee, man. <laughs> oh, I didn't oh, make yeah. the coffee. I didn't make the coffee. I, they they the, I was not the talent. They were the talent. Hey, listen, but you know what, Angel, a true leader is, uh, and it's a good way to start to uh, to bring us to a close. A true leader knows where to find the answers. So, uh, right. yeah, that's 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 a, you have an amazing, amazing story, Angel, and I'm just so honored that you joined us um, on uh, We All Serve because certainly I'm going to quote you over here. You know, you are you are the same person through and through. Um, how you served, enlisted officer and how you've continued in the corporate world and uh, continued through civic engagement. 
you know, we all serve as certainly a message that, uh, that whether you put on the uniform or not, uh, hopefully everybody can learn uh, some of those lessons from Angel Torres. And, you know, Angel, I'll, I'll leave you with this. It's funny. Um, I was on a, uh, I was interviewed a couple of weeks ago by, uh, by somebody and the, one of their closing questions to me was, who would I want to meet if I could meet anybody? And the funny thing is that I had two people on my list because I don't like to, you know, be the norm and just say one when they asked me for one person. I said, what the heck, I'll say two. First one is Howard Schultz. I'm a huge, huge Howard Schultz Starbucks fan, um, both how both the coffee, clearly, but also just the whole uh, approach to the stores and customer service and yada, yada. I highly recommend that for anybody uh, listening or viewing uh, to check out his books, but also Admiral William McRaven, um, you know, an incredible, incredible leader. Um, make your bed. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, it truly make is your awesome. Bed. It, it, it's awesome. And I quote it and I play it every time I, I have the opportunity to speak to a group. I, I make them watch that and listen to that. And, and I know all three of us, we've all served in a different branch of the, of, of the military, but ultimately it's that same lesson of attention to detail. Angel, as you said, about the fuel can and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's critical. Attention to detail changes your life. And it was a jar. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm not a fueler. So I, I'm, I'm out of my league over here. I'm out of my league. Um, but Angel, man, oh man, that's awesome. Any, uh, organizations or projects you want to plug, uh, to our, uh, to our listeners? Uh, yeah, Grant Thornton will be having a diversity and inclusion event, uh, roundup in, uh, I think the 23rd through the 25th of October. Uh, I'll be able to, sp I'll be speaking on that. Um, and the roll call has a regular events. I think the first Tuesday of every month, roll call is a great organization that partners veterans and, um, corporations in a very, very real, very purposeful way to provide those opportunities for career development and career opportunities opportunities in general so and i'm always available for consultations if you think your company culture needs uh needs um a little look over or a tweak uh you can reach us at veteranengagement.com it's pretty simple fantastic well angel it's a pleasure man uh i think we got to bring you back for a part two uh at some point and uh <laughs> You know, and, and hear some more of these fantastic stories, man. So I can, uh, you know, get have a throwback day, you know. Uh, but hey, yeah, I'll, again, I'll, I'll tell you the story. I'll tell you the story. Yeah, man, absolutely. So I think uh, as my brother and I, you know, we both we we both always tell everyone, uh, is no matter the capacity, no no matter the platform, we all serve. And, and clearly, Angel, uh, you've highlighted your service on many platforms. Uh, and distinguished yourself uh, um, among great servers. So thank you, man, for all you're continuing to do. And uh, and thank everyone out there for continuing to tune in uh, to We All Serve. We, ha we have many guests, uh, great guests ahead, uh, just like Angel today. Uh, you have any final remarks, Shalom? You know, uh, Angel, I, I echo my brother Robert's uh, sentiment. Can't wait to have you back. And um, you've already set a record with us, not only... Uh, not only that Starbucks um, on the on the ship, but uh, it will longest conversation so far. And I feel like we could go for another three hours and only scratch the surface. Yeah, but, uh, you know, shameless plug again, click subscribe wherever you might be hearing or seeing this. And if you're only hearing it, um, you trust me, you want to see it. I think uh, I counted at least twice that Angel twirled around in his chair. Um, threw up his hands. And the hands and everything. So you don't get that if you're just listening. But uh, yeah. click subscribe, find us on all social media platforms and a website coming soon. But uh, again, we all serve. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Robert, brother, can't wait to see you again. Angel, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us on the pod. And we all serve. We all serve.